Welcome to Then Now Whatever, the wrestling podcast. Back again with another edition of the Tape Trader Diaries. I'm your host, the man with... Wait, what am I called again? <laughs> I'm your host, the monster among... No, fuck! <laughs> I'm your host, the doctor among men, Duncan Joyce, and I'm joined once again by the hardest working Triple H mark in show business, it's Mr. Kyle Cambry. Hello, it's good to be back. Very good to be back, Kyle. How are you doing? I'm not too bad, thank you. We're at the latter end of the summer holidays now, so it's trying to get back into work mode. But other than that, I'm, I'm all good. How are you? I'm about to get out of work mode. I'll be on my holidays on Wednesday. Lovely. Where are you going? Going around a few places in the country. We're going to this Bruce Springsteen-themed glamping site. Oh, wow. We're in a narrow boat that's been converted to like a B&B style place with our own private island. Wow, that sounds really cool. Really looking forward to it. And then we're moving on to Bournemouth and Brecon before we head back up here. Brilliant. But I've got to kind of be on my best behaviour because I'm at the dentist tomorrow. Ah, yeah. I'll have two new fillings, hopefully... I won't be in pain for that much longer. The dentist trips are the worst. Even if you're not having anything done, I just I hate the dentist. <laughs> I take it you were at Wanderers the other weekend? I absolutely was, and it was so good to be back. It sounded fucking wild, and they've done it again this week from the sounds of it. Yeah, I mean... It's a positive that we can score all these goals. We just need to shut up shop at the back. <laughs> Where's Wheats when you need him? Yeah. <laughs> Big thank you for everyone who checked out our last episode. And of course, a tremendous thank you to Lee from the Rise Nitro podcast for showing his face. Already 2021 is our biggest year ever for listenership. And we're only eight months into the year. And we've only done two brand new episodes this year. So... That's brilliant. Thank you, everyone, for watching. You know, it means a lot to me and Dunk. It's good. Well, listening, not watching. Jesus. There we go. I'm as bad as you. (laughs) (laughs) Today, we'll be looking at the 2001 Royal Rumble. This is the first show that I actually realised was on Channel 4. And it's all thanks to my cousin. I went and visited him over, it must have been the February half term that year, just like with the Armageddon tape, he brought them over, I think we watched them all on the same day, and I was like, oh, Channel 4 actually had pay-per-views, oh, I'll remember that, and uh, (laughs) that'll play into our next episode. Kyle, did you watch this on 4 as well? I did watch it on 4, yeah. Well, one thing that we wouldn't have been able to watch on Channel 4 was the Sunday Night Heat that took place before the show. We'd have had an episode of Sunday Night Heat that week, but it's completely different from this episode. It's literally the hour before the show. This is January 21st, 2001. You should be able to find this on YouTube. It's quite a time warp. (laughs) Just a little bit. Heat's on MTV, and we were presented with a 
barrage of commercials for the halftime Super Bowl show with NSYNC and Aerosmith. What a mixture that is. <laughs> I know, quite the mix. <laughs> Can you imagine Super Bowl 2022 <laughs> with your halftime concert of Little Mix and fuck it, I don't know, ACDC? <laughs> The episode opens with the video package for the Royal Rumble, showing off some of the participants. Taz and Michael Cole are the hosts backstage yet again. And we then get a video package for the Chris Jericho versus Chris Benoit ladder match, with Cole teasing that it might be the last time they wrestle each other, and he claims it's perhaps the most intense and storied rivalry in sports entertainment. It's the same package that appear on the main show. It's just highlights of all of their past pay-per-view matches. Benoit offered Jericho any stipulation that he wanted to get a rematch. And Jericho picked a ladder match. But then on SmackDown, Benoit attacked Jericho's arm with a ladder. So will Jericho be fit for this matchup? Lillian then interviewed Benoit, concerned about the danger of this match. But Benoit says it won't stop him wrestling like he normally does. And it'll be the worst day of Jericho's life. Prove him wrong. I think January 6th, 2021 might have been a worse day if his wife was where everyone thought she was. <laughs> There's then a, another Royal Rumble commercial, and it hypes the APA as top contenders. It was really weird. The Hardys were the same. They were built up as, like, oh, you can't look past the Hardy boys. What? what? You're hyping all these top guys that you're sort of going to push to potentially be towards the end of the rumble and then these random tag teams are like oh don't look past these guys (laughs) (laughs) yeah they're like every man for himself and then oh but there's these tag teams in here (laughs) speaking of tag teams the Slim Jim snap of the night is Edge and Christian attacking the Dudleys with chairs on Raw and giving them concussions Taz called it a shellacking that's a very British phrase for Taz yeah. I thought William Regal would be saying something like that. <laughs> oh, you know what happened in Brooklyn all the time? We'd always get a shellacking in the tally whacker, you know. <laughs> then on SmackDown, Christian hit the unprettier on Devon and Bubba got double power bombed through a table. This brings out the tag team champions who cut a promo on the stage in the arena. Even though the arena's pretty empty in terms of the crowd so far. They keep showing clips of the little people Dudleys that they met the last time they were in New Orleans while bragging about winning TLC and having no respect for the Dudleys. There's a choice quote here. Smashing people through furniture and diving headfirst into people's crotches is practically a family reunion in these parts, but to tell you the truth, it makes us sick. (laughs) It's one hell of a statement. The WWF Slam of the Week, and it's actually a slam. It's Undertaker and Kane choke slamming The Rock and Austin at the end of SmackDown. That leads to speculation that maybe The Undertaker and Kane are in cahoots in the Royal Rumble match. Oh boy, here we go. Fans were asked outside the arena who they think will win the Royal Rumble match. Literally, the first fan they ask, I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> Fucking cheers, mate. <laughs> you just wouldn't put that in the edit, would you? No. You'd just be like, right, we need, we need some people here to just 
just roll off some wrestlers' names that we think are going to win. I have no idea. <laughs> okay. See, unlike Kurt Angle, that person must believe in the four eyes, intelligence, integrity, uh, whatever the fuck the other one is, and absolutely no idea. <laughs> in all seriousness, Austin and Undertaker were very popular, and The Rock and Billy Gunn were also mentioned. Oh, Drew Carey is going to be here tonight as well. And then they promote applications for Tough Enough. What a throwback that is. <laughs> I know. I'm surprised they're still accepting applications at this stage because they're going to be bloody filming it in like three months. Yeah. We then get an advert for the XFL with, no joke, Dick Buckkiss promoting people getting paid more for winning and wishing he had a quarter for every guy he knocked on their ass. Next, it's the video package for the China versus Ivory women's title match, highlighting the spike pile driver that ruptured three discs in China's neck. We'll see about that. Ivory parodied a sit-down interview where China got emotional about her recovery options, and Ivory reckoned that China was just scared of her even offering to put the title on the line, anticipating that China wouldn't answer. Unfortunately, China did, and she cost Ivory a match against Lita on Raw and even powerbombed her on SmackDown. Right to censor then, do a promo in the arena. <laughs> One of them is winning the Royal Rumble. Good luck with that, lads. What a shit show they are. <laughs> Ivory calls Bourbon Street a brothel, and says the fabulous Moolah was the only person before her to properly represent the women's title. Talk about comments that haven't aged well. Yeah. Stephen concludes by saying, wrong is wrong and right is right to censor. Kurt Angle, who was honorary chairman of the Smackdown Your Vote campaign, was in attendance at George W. Bush's inauguration on Friday. Can you imagine, like, Volta turning up to... Boris having a victory or something. I'd quite like Boris to take a, a Volta chop. <laughs> if I'm honest. Wow. Let's send him into next week. <laughs> that cues the hype package for the WWF title match. Kurt proclaimed in 2000 he had the most dominant year in the WWF. But then Vince made Triple H the number one contender, and everyone's all, WTF? Since Kurt won't have a McMahon in his corner, he's got the next best thing, Trish Stratus. This pays off months of Trish offering Kurt her services and Kurt being oblivious to what her intentions were. Yeah. That leads to a rundown of Steph's issues with Trish, Steph saying that she's the most dominant female in the WWF. It's clear which part of this feud is the most fleshed out here. Yeah. Heel versus heel title match, Kyle. Well, I guess this isn't applicable for you. It's Triple H in here. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. There's only one heel in that match. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, in a general sense, it's a bit odd. You know, same with face against face. There's always a point where... No matter who you side with, the other person automatically becomes the heel of the person that you're chanting for. Is 
is your face essentially so it sort of doesn't really work yeah i don't don't really get a sense of where the crowd would go with this one i feel like this is a start of people considering the wwf title match being an afterthought at the royal rumble yeah yeah i'd say that yeah after this point you get some kind of filler title matches every now and then at this event that you know obviously aren't going to lead to a title change but go back one year before this nobody was saying that about cactus jack versus triple h for instance no lillian then interviews kurt pointing out that he pushed triple h into austin on smackdown and vince said that triple h would lose his title shot if he physically provoked the rattlesnake was kurt trying to get out of the title match Kurt says, um, integrity is one of my free eyes. I was just trying to get Triple H out of my face. It was just a coincidence he hit Austin. He's looking forward to wrestling Triple H, who he calls a dumb blonde just like Lillian. Never really think of Triple H being blonde because his hair's so wet and it gets darker and stuff. Yeah, very true. It's his handlebar mustache days where the blonde really starts to show. <laughs> Oh, boy. <laughs> the Rock arrives and poses with fans, and then after the break, Drew Carey is shown arriving in a limo. We then get our main event of Sunday Night Heat. Or as JR put it, interesting match here. It's Lowdown, accompanied by Tiger Ali Singh, taking on Kai and Tai, and one member of the winning team will enter the Royal Rumble tonight. Unlike when we saw them on Smackdown on our previous episode Lowdown are fully in their traditional Indian garb and JR calls their outfits pyjamas and in a rare moment it's Lawler who's actually the least ignorant member of this team and he educates JR on, on the significance here oh boy speaking of ignorance Kai and Ty are doing their evil indeed gimmick we reek of one thing and one thing only, evil. Indeed. Oh, the love of Pete. <laughs> so weird. There was a cool leapfrog into a spine buster by Lowdown. Then Kai and Ty made a comeback, but celebrated it too much, which allowed D'Lo to hit the sky high on Taka. And then Lowdown hit a double powerbomb on Funaki to get the win after 1 minute and 57 seconds. You know, watching that, I was like, oh, why do I recognise D'Lo Brown's partner? And then it occurred to me, it's Mosh. It is indeed, yes. I was like, oh my god. <laughs> I wonder what happened to Thrasher though. Yeah. Or what would keep happening to Thrasher? Because he, he kind of fluctuate between being headbanger mosh and being chaz mm. wow what a main event <laughs> i mean perfect for heat surely <laughs> i wouldn't rely on this for much heat if i'm honest yeah yeah okay we'll go with that <laughs> <laughs> we've then shown clips of the shoving spot that lillian brought up earlier which led to triple h pedigree kurt angle and Austin giving Triple H for stunner. Vince is interviewed by Michael Cole and declares, in the interest of fairness, 
Both men will keep their spots in their respective matches because it was an accident. They had an edict where they couldn't touch each other or they'd lose their spots tonight. He also refuses to reveal the three remaining men to enter the Royal Rumble match. So keep your eyes out for three surprises tonight. And then finally we close with an in-depth look at some of the contenders in the Royal Rumble. Leading off with Rikishi, who shocked the world by running over Austin and betraying The Rock. He'll enter at number 30, and last year he actually eliminated the most people in this match. Kane is apparently the favourite. Don't know where that came from. This is around the time, isn't it, where they sort of, every rumble after this one, they push Kane because, you know, out of his eliminations, don't they? But because it's not happened previous, this is like, it comes out of nowhere, doesn't it, about Kane being the favourite. But then moving forward, due to eliminations, he's always, you know, oh, watch out for Kane. And see, this is like what I was talking about when we did Armageddon the other month, Kyle. Kane lost that match, but Jericho, you know, he's back down in the Intercontinental title match, whereas Kane here is suddenly the top contender for the Royal Rumble. Yeah. Undertaker is the big dog that runs the yard, and in his words, the safe bet. The Rock, who has a dream to be the champion again. And Stone Cold Steve Austin, who's possessed, possessed with being champion. And Triple H cost him a title match earlier in the month. I feel like this is very analogous to the kickoff shows that we get nowadays. Yeah. Like, this is the kind of thing I'll be thankful for if I was watching live, because now, whenever the video packages come up in the main show, I could go for a toilet break. Yeah. Who were you rooting for going into this rumble? Rocky, I think. The problem that I had when I was younger, and I'm probably going to get a lot of heat for saying this, I was never a massive Austin fan. So I just couldn't get on board with everyone wanting Austin to win. And that's not me saying I didn't like Austin. I loved Austin, but I I don't know. And I don't know whether that's because Austin and Triple H were always rivals, well, for for the most part, until late 2001 when we got the whole power trip. But because they were always toe-to-toe with each other I think I didn't really appreciate Austin as much because I was always sided on the Triple H side now see I'd still favour The Rock in this match even though Austin he was the guy that drew me into wrestling because he was on all the video game covers and then when I actually was able to start watching he was injured so there was this huge anticipation for actually finally getting to see him wrestle I was also kind of excited The Undertaker and Kane might team up here. Yeah, yeah. I was a really big Kane fan, and that seemed interesting to me. One of those days when the true contenders in this match were slightly more thin on the ground than we're perhaps used to. But, I mean, like the top three guys in this, you know, Austin, Undertaker and The Rock. Yeah, and I think... As you, you see throughout the show, commentary try and do the best to try and fill that out. You know, like we said with the try and say the APA are favourites, they try and say, you know, the Hardys are favourites. And I think, like you say, because they're so thin on the ground of the actual favourites, they're trying to 
sort of get out a top 10 list, if if you will, to try and get people to watch other people coming into the match. We'll see how that plays out as we reach the main show here. It's for WWF Royal Rumble 2001 from January 21st, 2001 in the New Orleans Arena in New Orleans, Louisiana. 17,137 fans in attendance and 625,000 people watching via pay-per-view. 29 will fall. One will get the chance of a lifetime. It may be some men's only shot to take the first step ultimate glory we kick off the show with the wwf tag team championship match edge and christian the defending champions taking on the dudley boys devon's giving the concussion the hard sell but bubba's far too hyped by this crowd yeah (laughs) the challengers are so keen to get hold of enc that the brawl begins while they're still replaying the assault from smackdown Around this time, it was quite a common occurrence where you would miss a little bit of action because they were too busy with like adverts or, or replays. And I don't know whether it was because it was kind of a... Well, I suppose the replays aren't a newish thing, but adverts might have been like a newish thing. I don't think they'd, they'd sort of worked out the timings properly at this point. I think they're still in a kind of mile-a-minute mode, like... Oh, don't let anybody switch over the channel kind of thing. Yeah. Like, it doesn't really give them the cadence to get their stories across sometimes. King actually looked up the dictionary definition of concussion and was surprised that it meant bruised brain because he didn't think the Dudleys had brains. (laughs) There's then a damning bit of evidence against the US education system here with a sign in the crowd, Devon, get the table table spelt T-A-B-E-L Tabel <laughs> Bubba No sold a head scissors out of the corner by Christian and cheap shotted Edge and got a sidewalk slam for two then Devon followed up with a power slam but Christian got a cheap shot to the back of the injured head to finally get the champs control of the match Bubba got so frustrated that Devon was the face in peril he yells at the referee SHUT YOUR MOUTH Champs really give Devon's head a working over. Devon escapes the spike pile driver by catapulting Edge into Christian, but the ref missed the tag to Bubba. You can't call what you can't see, Kyle. <laughs> so Devon had to duck a concerto attempt and double clothesline the champs to finally get Bubba in legally. And what a hot tag this was. Oh, yeah. Christian always gets so high in the air for Bubba's backdrops. It's unbelievable. We get the weather up and Devon get the tables. But whilst he does, Eggs tried to nail Bubba with the belt, but got rolled up for a really close near fall that the fans were really into. The Unprettier gets countered, but the 3D gets cut off by Edge spearing Bubba and Christian DDT's Devon. Bubba kicked out. God, that was an excellent false finish. Yeah. Edge and Christian's own up is then countered, causing Edge to headbutt his brother's balls and eat the 3D to get the Dudleys the win and their second reign as tag team champions after 9 minutes and 58 seconds. Can't believe this is only their second title reign. Yeah, that's crazy. What did you think, Kyle? 
I really enjoyed this match. I was quite surprised at how fast the match went by. It was just really, really, really quick, really, really slick. Edge and Christian and, and the Dudleys, the chemistry that they've got, it works time and time again. And it was just really simple stuff that got everything over. You know, the Edge and Christian doing the Dudleys moves that then got reversed. A little bit of comedy in there. Edge and Christian being the, the stupid two out of the tag team. So then, you know, they eat their up the manoeuvre and... Yeah, it was just it was just really nice match to watch. Absolutely, this is a great opener. It's so elementary, but it works so well. You got the wounded challenges for trying to close the match off early. One of them gets their injury worked over. The other gets the hot tag, and then that closing stretch was just sensational. Like when the three D got cut off, I was ah, oh, that's fantastic. They make this look so easy, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. Great start to this show. Triple H is backstage with Steph and he wants her to make sure the issue with Trish doesn't interfere in his title match tonight. Steph promises Trish won't be a factor. Drew then says hello, telling Triple H, Hey, I haven't seen you since the show. I.e. Triple H's guest appearance on the Drew Carey show. He admits he didn't know Triple H was married to Stephanie because he doesn't watch the show. I'll slap in the face. What a guy. <laughs> he claims he bumped into Kamala at the airport and asks where Vince is so he can pick his brains and help promote his improv all-stars pay-per-view. Steph says she'll introduce him to Trish while he waits because she's a big fan. Did you know who Drew Carey was when you first saw this, Kyle? I didn't. I didn't either, and... I'd kind of Mandela affected myself because I think I thought he was that cop from Third Rock in the Sun. Oh, yeah, yeah. The guy that's the Newman from Seinfeld. Yeah. And then when I go back and watch this as an adult, I was like, oh, that's not the same guy. <laughs> I wasn't too sure who who it was originally watching it. Obviously looked familiar but yeah never really knew who he was they're still kind of prone to this having very US centric crossovers and promotions and things like that yeah why can't they be more globally minded like having the army of the dead zombies come in and stink up one of Miz's matches it does feel like at times they can be quite narrow minded with stuff like that you know think about the bigger picture and not just your, like, the home ground, if you will. In the APA office, the lads show each other their Royal Rumble numbers, and then Crash comes in and says he'll throw them over the top rope if they get in his way. Do you know what? That, that segment actually made me laugh way more than it actually should have done. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. Bradshaw quips, Nicola's drunks! And of course, Farouk closes on the infamous, Damn! Onto our second match, it's the ladder match for the Intercontinental Championship. Chris Benoit, the champion, defending against Chris Jericho. Immediately, this match descends into a brawl. Both men block their finishers, and then Benoit goes after the injured shoulder. Jericho's springboard dropkick is ducked, causing him to take a nasty fall, and then he's sent into the ring post. 
Benoit evades a baseball slide and sends Jericho into the steps, and tries to climb the ladder only to get electric chaired off. Jericho continues to attack with the ladder and props it over the buckle, but Benoit reverses the whip and Jericho is sent crashing into the ladder. This leads to the infamous spot where Benoit tries a tope and Jericho whacks him square in the face with a chair. Oh my god. Ugh. That was a wince moment. I appreciate he kind of had his arms up, but the sound of that was just sickening. Yeah. Jericho crutches Benoit into the ladder and uses it to super Russian leg sweep the champion. That's quite unusual. He seesaws the ladder over the top rope to uppercut Benoit with it only to then get back suplexed over the top all the way to the floor when he tried to climb. Jericho then cut off Benoit's climb and hooked the walls of Jericho across the top of the ladder. How on earth is that supposed to work? I mean, the whole manoeuvre looks incredible. The only problem is that for it to work, it needed Benoit's help, so it didn't look as effective as what it could have been but I suppose how else could they have done it but it was so obvious to see Benoit you know wrap his arms around Jericho to keep Jericho in place and it was like mm. see that's why I don't like the styles clash because like, oh right yeah my arms go here now okay yeah Jericho leaps off the ladder right into the cripple across face causing a tap out that doesn't mean anything and then Jericho attempts to rally back with a superplex from the ladder, but Benoit blocks it and tried the headbutt off the ladder. Jesus Christ, and Jericho moves, thankfully. How did that not hurt? Because he essentially jumped from a height. If that was water, you know, like that's concrete sort of splash down there. And he, he hardly moves his hands like to defend himself either he full on just smashes himself into the ring I think Benoit having the brain tissue of an 86 year old man should tell you that yes it did in fact hurt yeah very true Y2J traps Benoit under the ladder but amazingly the champion overturns the ladder and sends Jericho into the top rope however when Benoit climbs Jericho turned the ladder over to shit can Benoit to the outside, and while the champ was agonisingly trying to crawl back inside, Jericho climbed and got the gold to become the Intercontinental Champion for the third time after 18 minutes and 45 seconds. What did you make to this one? I really enjoyed it. Again, second match in, and they're still running high here. Jericho and Benoit are always great together. Really nice spots with the use of the ladder. Really enjoyed the walls of Jericho on top of the ladder, like we discussed. It's just a shame that it's obvious that both participants need to kind of work together for it to work, but it was a nice spot. And for me, the only thing that I didn't enjoy was the finish. But I think that was due to the camera work. So right at the very end where Jericho's struggling to get up to the ladder and he's going for the belt, the camera is behind Benoit and you can clearly see Benoit's fine and he's just stuttering about 
to let Jericho win the belt, and I just that kind of jarred it a little bit for me. But other than that, great match, really good match. Yeah, I totally understand that. I thought the finish was a bit anticlimactic too, but this was still a brutal match. Yeah. I think we've talked before about the differences between the stunt ladder matches and the fight ladder matches, and this was definitely the latter. Yeah, definitely. Just two sadists trying to hurt each other enough to climb up and get the gold. It was a bit of uncomfortable viewing in places, especially with those two bumps that Benoit took, but this was still captivating, and it felt true to both men's characters and their traditional wrestling styles, while still giving fans things that can only be done in a ladder match. Yeah. Including Sunday Night Heat, we're at about the halfway point here, so it's half-time question time. We spoke a little bit in the opening going, Kyle, about the awkwardness of heel versus heel matches, but do you have any favourite heel versus heel matches? Ooh... I can't think of heel versus heel, but I can I can think of a few face versus faces that's I suppose essentially the same deal but flipped. Like Cena Batista, I never felt really worked just because I felt like you know the the era where they tried to push them both and they they had the the Royal Rumble where Vince came out and pulled both quads. Oh yeah, <laughs> and they were both being pushed as the next big things and I don't know I just you've got to do face and heel it doesn't work otherwise when Sean was face and he again had a few matches with Cena I felt that didn't work either trying to think heel versus heel Edge has got to have had some heel versus heel surely oh no doubt yeah it was him and Orton in 2007 Yes. They were supposed to have that match in London, but then they decided that Sean and Cena were going to wrestle for a whole hour, so they moved it to the next week, and that was really, really good. That's the thing, and that again, that's the problem, is that you can have a really, really good match, and it can be up there with, you know, as one of the best, but for a fan, you're sort of jarred as to whose side am I on here and where am I sort of viewing this from? Because I don't know about anybody else when they're watching a match. I struggle to watch a match as a, I don't know, down the middle. I like to think, oh, right, okay, so this is my favourite who I think is potentially going to win this. And then it's the shock of either that not happening or me being right. I struggle to watch something down the middle. I totally get that, yeah. This brings me back to when we go see Progress and there was one of the main events where people were doing the both these guys chant and I was very furiously starting a pick a side chant because fucking pick a side! Yeah, I totally agree. So other than the Edge versus Autumn match that I mentioned earlier, you're on the money, Edge is one of those wrestlers who smart enough to, to figure out how to kind of make this work my favourite I guess it's kind of cheating because it's a bit more fluid in Japan but Minoru Suzuki and AJ Styles had a match in the G1 
it must have been the first year AJ turned up, so I think it was 2014. You know, Suzuki's the, the head of this one big heel faction. AJ was the head of the Bullet Club, and they both tore the house down. Yeah. As you've discussed, Kyle, there's a reason that it's a rarity. We'll see what Triple H can pull off later. <laughs> Drew Carey's chatting with Trish, and he offers her his chapstick, but she admits that she's involved with someone. Mm-hmm. And conveniently, Mr. McMahon walks in. He proposes that Drew enters the Royal Rumble if he really wants to impress fans enough to get them to watch the big show. After all, Vince won the Royal Rumble. I mean... <laughs> Did he properly win it? Let's be honest. Yeah, no need to brag about the size <laughs> of your Royal Rumble win there, Vince. Trish points out she'll be really impressed. So Drew decides, what the hell, I'll give it a shot. If only he knew. <laughs> <laughs> Billy Gunn is then pleading with China in the locker room to listen to what the doctors are saying but she says that Ivory has left her no choice. Worry about the rumble, Billy. Don't worry about her. Jericho then gets interviewed by Michael Cole, calling Benoit a tough bastard, but declaring that he proved Benoit wrong. Match number three is for the WWF Women's Championship. It's Ivory, accompanied by Stephen Richards, defending against China. King is particularly annoyed with the right to censor tonight because they interrupted his intro to the XFL cheerleaders on Smackdown on Thursday. JR calls Ivory sexually repressed. How the hell would you know? (laughs) You know, fucking webcam in a hotel room is like, no, day 47 without sex, (laughs) by God. China beals Ivory around by the hair really early on, mares her off the top rope and stomps a mod hole and walks it dry. She stops Ivory escaping through the crowd after punching her over the top rope and Gorilla presses her over the barricade. She then clotheslines Steven, sends him to the outside and hits the handspring elbow, but it re-injures her neck. A hush falls over commentary and Ivory covers for the free count to retain after 3 minutes and 27 in what was more of an angle than a match. It put over what you expected really. China completely outmatched Ivory but took too big a gamble with her health to do so. Lots of fake injury angles tonight, huh? Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest, I wasn't really impressed with the finish. I get that they're trying to sell the injury. I get that. I just felt that it was in the wrong place. Just kind of jarred it a little bit for me. And you could tell by the way that the crowd was. It just kind of went to an abrupt end. And I suppose what they wanted to achieve was, is she injured, is she not injured? And the the crowd were, I think they were confused more than anything. Is the match finished now or is it not finished? Yeah, it was a very innocuous looking spot. King, Billy Gunn and Sergeant Slaughter then attend to China in the ring. The EMTs arrive and put her in a brace on a gurney and then stretcher her out. And King told JR that China couldn't even speak. I mean, she shouldn't even be doing cartwheels if she has quote-unquote free ruptured discs. Yeah. 
I feel like they're, they're trying to have their cake and eat it too much with this storyline here. Yeah, very much so. It's just not convincing. Yeah. Stephanie McMahon visits Jan, the hairdresser, to get her hair fixed, but bumps into Trish and threatens her. Trish says she's not interested in Stephanie's affairs because she's got her own affairs to worry about. This is like the, the most Vince McMahon storyline ever. Yeah. Harvey Whippleman then gives Drew Carey some wrestling gear and Drew asks, hey, who's a goofy guy in the mask? That's gotta be Kane! Drew introduces himself. I'm a wrestler too now. <laughs> Kane's rightly not impressed. Lowdown and Tiger Ali are happy D'Lo and Chaz plead their case for who's going to get in the Rumble match. But then Vince arrives and drops a bombshell that they've been replaced by Drew Carey, causing Tiger to ask, Drew Curry? Who is Drew Curry? More of our favourite fan polling section here, Kyle. Oh, man. This time it's fans in WWF New York who were asked, who will win the WWF title match tonight? Lots of stock answers here. Triple H is the game. Kurt will win. It's true, it's true. What was the guy with the three eyes? He was so confident. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he should be. If he's got three eyes, he's clearly got an advanced perspective on all of us. (laughs) He was just so confident. And he's like, I think Kurt will win because of the three eyes. And then he just rattles them off. And I was like, Wow, what a script you've learned. (laughs) (laughs) Triple H actually came out on top for free and he breathes intensely into a mirror. Then Angle heads to the arena and that cues our WWF Championship match. It's our fourth contest of the evening. Kurt Angle, the champion, accompanied by Trish Stratus, is taking on Triple H, accompanied by Stephanie McMahon-Helmsley. And Kyle, it's the pay-per-view debut of the Motorhead theme. Oh yeah. What did you think to this song when you first heard it? I loved it. I think his song before was, I don't know, I think I was too used to like the techno-y side of it. So then when he started coming out with this track and it being more rock themed, I was just like, right, this is the track. Yeah, I was really on board with it. I loved his previous theme. This was very jarring to me because my first introduction to this was on Heat a few weeks ago. They showed a clip of him. He had an interview via satellite talking about why he was the number one contender. And then when it finished, they just played the It's all about the game! And now you play it! <laughs> bit of the lyrics. I'm like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> I much preferred it when I heard it in full and I got WWF The Music Volume 5 not long after this and that's the opening song and yeah, bloody loved it. JR asks, what Linda, in her sedated state, must be thinking about Trish's involvement with the McMahon family? I don't think she's doing much thinking, you know, because she's sedated. I'll be honest, this bit of the storyline I never really grasped. I was never on board with sedated Linda McMahon. 
we saw just before Armageddon, Vince asked for a divorce and that, I don't know, it gave Linda some form of PTSD and they heavily medicated her to quote-unquote take care of her and this has given Vince the chance to philander around a bit and get involved with certain talents. Yeah. We get an Owen Hart-style armringer escape by Kurt, who Fireman carried Triple H down with ease, then hip tosses him and takes him to the outside. Then the crowd chant angle sucks. No fucking taste. <laughs> Logically, Triple H abandons wrestling and goes for fisticuffs, but he still gets backdropped and Kurt out-wrestles him yet again. Then the champion unwisely takes the fight outside, allowing Triple H to turn the tables. Drop toehold into an Indian deathlock back inside by Triple H, followed by a dragon screw. There's another prominent sign I saw here. Stone Cold, quit wasting beer! <laughs> Angle sends Triple H to the outside again, despite being on one freaking leg! Triple H is able to whack a chair into Kurt's knee while Stephanie had the ref distracted. And it's followed up with a shinbreaker into the steps and a sick elbow drop onto the knee while springing off the bottom rope. Triple H then locks in the true version of the Indian Deathlock and then the figure four leg lock. Trish tried to alert the ref to Triple H illegally using the ropes, so Stephanie attacks, leading to a brawl all around the Spanish announce table that Vince comes out to break up. Of course he comes out to break it up. <laughs> He carries Trish to the aisle, but Stephanie pulls her down and Vince collapses. And, oh, it's all a mess. Everybody eventually gets backstage. And in the distraction, Kurt Angle cradled Triple H for a two count. It's followed by a DDT, inverted atomic drop and German suplex. And then the side Russian leg sweep sets up the moonsault. But Triple H low blow Kurt and hits the razor's edge for a near fall. Bit out of nowhere. Mm. Pedigree is countered and Angle inadvertently headbutts Triple H in the balls, rebounding off the turnbuckle. This time the moonsault hits, but it only gets two because Kurt hurt his knee going for the cover. I always find it insane how athletic Angle is with doing like the top rope stuff. It's just incredible. It's so crazy to me. Kurt's probably the first one. Lots of these modern technical wizards in terms of like owning people on the mat they always have something like this in their locker it's like when Brock doing the shooting star press just where the fuck did that come from yeah Triple H's sledge off the apron inadvertently downs the ref Triple H then goes up top but Kurt runs the ropes to arm drag him off Triple H then sends Kurt crashing into Earl and the steps when the champion tried to revive the ref. H then tried to attack with the belt, but got belly to bellied. And then Kurt tried to attack with the belt, but he got pedigreed. This then draws out Stone Cold Steve Austin, who beats up Triple H, whacks him with the belt, busting him open. Stone Cold Stunner, the referee recovers, and Kurt Angle crawls over to get the free count to retain his title after 24 minutes and 18 seconds. Surprisingly long match. Good match, though. Yeah, you enjoy it? Yeah, very, very good. 
when I got to this match and I was re-watching it, it's got to be a few years since I've seen this match in its entirety. Um, I was genuinely thinking to this point, what hell of a pay-per-view it's been so far. And then I thought this match was great as a main event. I mean, when it's a Royal Rumble, you've got to ignore the Royal Rumble itself because that's just an event in itself. So for me, this was your main event. And it had everything. You had your, your outside stuff with Stephanie and Trish. Earl Hebner <laughs> gets knocked out. It's always Triple H's fault. That's why Triple H and Earl <laughs> Hebner hate each other. And then Austin coming down, getting retribution against Triple H, costing him the title. Loved it. For Steph and the Trish rivalry... And the Austin running were always going to be the headline stealers here. But they still tried to wrestle a worthwhile and technical-based match, and I still enjoyed it. Yeah. I thought it was interesting they tried to position Kurt as the de facto babyface, but the crowds weren't interested. No, I think we find that quite often now, that you can't put somebody onto the crowd. The crowd will decide for themselves. Kurt got handed the win here and looked less favourable at the end of this than at the end of the Hell in a Cell last month. In that environment, he was stealing a pin after someone else's move and he looked smart in the context of the Hell in a Cell because, you know, it's chaotic and everything. Here, it's just like Austin's decided, yeah, Kurt can keep the title, I don't give a shit. Yeah. I personally prefer the match that they had at Unforgiven 2000. Like I said, I still really enjoyed this and they really thought about the kind of style of wrestling that they wanted to put in here to contrast with all the storyline stuff that they had to cram in. Like say, Cal, this has been a pretty exciting show so far. Rikishi is back in the locker room, breathing intensely while doing squats. And then we see The Undertaker shadowboxing. Then Kevin Kelly interviews The Rock. Rocky compares The Rumble to a pot of New Orleans jambalaya. He says everyone will be in trouble if Kane and Undertaker team up, but he doesn't care what they want to do, whether Kane wants to buy Undertaker chocolates or Taker wants to lick Kane's big red nipple. They're still going over the top rope like everyone else. He's so good. He teases being in the final two with Bull Buchanan. Or maybe Perry Saturn. Or maybe even Stone Cold Steve Austin. Either way, he'll whip ass all over the Big Easy. And yes, it's that time of the night. It's our main event, the Royal Rumble match. Howard Finkel explains the rules, even though we all know what they are, obviously. It's notable here, people are coming out every two minutes instead of every 90 seconds, which is what we traditionally get nowadays. Number one is Jeff Hardy, which cues Shawn Michaels comparisons. And number two is Bull Buchanan. JR quips, Bull must be in a fighting mood because he's not wearing his necktie. See, Stephen Richards, he's, he's, he's lost the locker room. <laughs> Mid-carders start in this match. When I was growing up, I just kind of accepted this. Like, oh yeah, some of the people who are lower down are surely going to get the worst numbers. 
but nowadays there's this tendency to kick off with like a really really big name yeah and they sort of put the impetus on how long can they last when the big name comes in yeah it, back then it was it was very mid card central yeah it's kind of like easing people into the match but it's nice and pacey jeff escapes a gorilla press the Royal Rumble is Kathy's favourite event, so I invited her to watch this match with me. And there's a point where Jeff's trying to throw Bull over the top rope, and she spotted Bull put his own leg over the top rope for Jeff. <laughs> Get ready for more hot takes as we go through this one. Oh, who's at number three? Why, it's Matt Hardy. What a coinky dink. They hit the poetry in motion and double clothesline Bull out to eliminate him. And then they decide to wrestle each other. This is a really early outing for Jeff's jawjacker. Like the jawbreaker where he lands on his ass. When they see number four is about to come out, they stop fighting. And it's a good thing because it's Farouk. He runs through both men with clotheslines. And Jeff slips doing the poetry in motion. Matt looked really, really hurting from that one. Yeah. He's still able to save Matt Hardy from the Dominator, Twist of Fate and Swanton, and Farouk gets eliminated. The brothers then take their shirts off, so they're really serious about fighting each other now. We don't get long, though, because at number five, it's Drew Carey. He hot dogs and high fives the crowd, and then the Hardys wind up eliminating each other, just as Drew got inside the ring. Kathy turned into Nostradamus a bit here. She went, I bet some big monster comes out now. <laughs> Q entry number six, it's Kane. Drew is begging for the Hardys to come back in and help him. <laughs> and then Kathy again with another bold prediction. I bet Drew eliminates himself now. She's got this. <laughs> Keep her on. <laughs> My favourite spot in all this is when Drew attempted to bribe Kane, and Kane just, he does the tilt-in-his-head thing where he's looking at Drew as if he has no concept of money whatsoever. (laughs) What is dollar? (laughs) You think this is about money? (laughs) Number seven, Raven, saves Drew from a chokeslam with a kendo stick shot, so Drew eliminates himself, naturally, and a fan immediately holds up a sign for his pay-per-view as he leaves. How convenient. Kane really mistimed a sidewalk slam on Raven. Oh yeah, he, he nearly falls over. Yeah. Raven starts to bring in some plunder into this match, but number eight, Al Snow, jumps the gun and starts attacking Raven early. The refs make him wait for the official buzzer before he's allowed to enter the ring. JR mentions Raven had attacked him with a cinder block several weeks ago, which is why Al was keen to get a piece of him here. He bowls a bowling ball right into Raven's balls. This is definitely your hardcore section of the match. Oh yes, absolutely. Raven and Al then actually end up teaming up against Kane with trash cans. And then number nine, Perry Saturn enters the match and goes after Kane's leg. Appropriately enough, the man who drew number 10 at random is out next. And it's Random Steve! Woo! 
Random Steve, random Steve fills out any Max card. Random Steve, random Steve fills out any Max card. Conveniently, his sticks were already in the ring in a duffel bag that Al Snow brought in there. He gets to work on everyone, and then number 11, Grandmaster Sexay, comes out. He attacks random Steve with some random nunchucks. Kane then no-sells a low blow from Raven and decides, fuck it, and attacks everyone with a bin, including a shot that immediately eliminated the Grandmaster. Random Steve tried to skin the cat back in, but Kane whacked him in the head with a bin lid. <laughs> he goes on a rampage, eliminating Blackman, Snow, Raven, and Saturn. Cue number 12, one of our first surprise entrants, it's the Honky Tonk Man! The best Elvis ripoff you'll ever find. I had no clue who this man was when I saw this show the first time. No. And I also got confused why we never saw him again after this, because the other surprise entries stayed around and would continue wrestling. So I just thought that, oh yeah, if you're entering this match, you're back in the WWF now. But no, no more honky after this. <laughs> He sings his song, but then gets elk-bonged with the guitar and eliminated, taking a hell of a bump over the top rope. We're back to serious business now with unlucky number 13. It's The Rock, and the fans bloody love it. What a pop. Oh, amazing. He hit a missile clothesline to Kane, but then Kane put the brakes on from the elimination attempt. Number 14 is The Good Father, and explaining this guy's character to Kathy was definitely something. <laughs> like, okay, so he was a pimp, but now he's not anymore. And they've just added an awe to his name. She actually recognised him from Dark Side of the Ring eventually. <laughs> ah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's eliminated quickly by The Rock's spit punch, and then Kane puts Rock down with a much better sidewalk slam this time. Number 15, it's Taz! And he's promptly eliminated by Kane. Fans go ballistic when Kane nearly eliminates The Rock. They're really into The Rock here. The replay of Taz's elimination then glitches out, which I thought was strange because I remember watching the live version. It worked fine and King was even counting how many seconds Taz lasted. Yeah. Number 16 is Bradshaw, and Jiminy Christmas, did he ever wallop the rock with a clothesline? <laughs> They're then joined by number 17, Albert, and there's a lot of beef in the ring right now. Yes. Fans are really into rock surviving elimination again. And number 18, Hardcore Holly, arrives just as Albert hits the Baldo bomb on Bradshaw and levels Kane with a pump kick. It almost allows The Rock to eliminate Kane, but he hung on. And then number 19, K-Quick joins. Truth. In an impressive bit of timing, Bradshaw powerbombs K-Quick at the exact moment that Kane power-slammed Harkar Holly. They both hit them at exactly the same time. How do you do that? Yeah, that was nicely worked. Number 20 is Val Venus, and I'm sure you're relieved... Just as I am, Kyle, but he's wearing the correct pants this time. <laughs> yes, it all matches. <laughs> Just as Bull Buchanan had given up on his uniform. 
He got spine busted by Kane, which is a rarity. Ooh. Then fuck me, Bradshaw clattered into K Quick with a spear. Number 21 is the European champion, William Regal, who potatoes everyone. Valvin tried to eliminate Rock, and Bradshaw saved him. King covered for it by pointing out that everybody hates the right to censor. Yeah. Number 22 is Test, and he eliminates Regal, then makes a beeline for his former tag team partner, Albert. Number 23 is our next surprise, and well, well, it's the big show! Or, if you were watching on Channel 4, it's, well, well, it's a commercial break. (laughs) And then, it's a big show. Thanks to our mate Ash on Twitter for helping me remember that one. (laughs) He's making his return from being shamed into losing weight and wrestling in OVW and gets a big reaction from the crowd. He eliminates Test. Gorilla presses K-Quick over the top to eliminate him, then chokeslammed everyone, but then can't chokeslam The Rock, and Rock ends up eliminating The Big Show. A furious show strips the announce table and pulls The Rock outside as number 23 Crash Holly arrives, and Big Show chokeslams The Rock through the table. Everyone's ganging up on Kane, Until, appropriately enough, number 25, The Undertaker, arrives. What a bit of happenstance. Mm. Kathy knew absolutely nothing about the American badass stage of his career, and she just found this all hilarious. (laughs) The limp biscuit, the bike, just everything. Have you seen modern-day Fred Durst, Kyle? Oh, my word. Yeah, I saw the picture the other day. What is going (laughs) on? Oh, fucking look! He looks like Julian Assange now! Weird. Undertaker saves Kane, then eliminates Bradshaw, Hardcore, and Val Venus, while Kane eliminated Crash and Albert. JR asks, And now what? They tease a stare down, but who could possibly come between these two men? It's number 26, Scotty Too Hotty. I mean, that's bad luck. (laughs) (laughs) Scotty is scared shitless, and he gets double chokeslammed and eliminated by the brothers. Who can actually stop these two? Oh, what about number 27, Stone Cold Steve Austin? A bit annoying here, his Disturbed theme got overdubbed with his classic theme. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah, he's still using his Disturbed song at this time, and they used his traditional song, so you can't quite hear how the crowd are actually reacting to him. Ooh. Wait a minute, it's Triple H, and he jumps Austin from behind, brawling with Austin in the aisle, just as Rock re-enters the ring to confront Undertaker and Kane. Austin's busted open in the brawl and left laid out on the rampway, as number 28 Billy Gunn joins the fray, firing up on the Brothers of Destruction until Undertaker couldn't be bothered to sell anymore. There's just like a point where Billy keeps punching him and the Undertaker just looks fed up. like, fuck this. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I've had enough now. Number 29 is our final surprise of the evening. Just arrived from WCW, it's Haku. Surprise. 
I was confused as heck watching this because I knew him as Meng and JR kept calling him Haku. Like, what are you on about? It's Meng. Just to further point out what a shock this was, he was actually the WCW Hardcore Champion at this point. And now that he's left, they just retired the belt completely. Our final entrant, as we knew ahead of time, is Rikishi. And he spots Austin crawling back up the aisle. But he can't even get the jump on a wounded Austin. Austin fires up back in the ring. And a mistimed clothesline eliminates Haku. He basically eliminated himself for most of that. Undertaker chokeslams Rikishi. Tried to eliminate The Rock. And then goes back to Rikishi with a headbutt. Which clearly didn't work. So he tries it again, like the idiot that he is. That leaves him dazed enough to suffer a headbutt from Rikishi and a super kick that eliminates him. Rikishi then downs The Rock, but The Rock recovers in time to counter the bonsai drop with a low blow and he eliminates Rikishi over the top. Billy Gunn then counter the stunner and hit the Feymaster on Austin and flipped him off. What the hell? <laughs> Oh, no matter, Austin immediately recovers and eliminates Billy Gunn. This allows Austin and Rock to finally lock eyes with each other to a huge reaction from the crowd and the two men brawl. At this point, Austin's boot has become extremely unlaced and it really concerns me. Like, can you imagine him, like, tripping up on his laces trying to eliminate someone? <laughs> Ends up eliminating himself. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, folks, Stone Cold can't win the Royal Rumble because he can't tie his shoes. Rock then sent Kane through the ropes and tried to slam Austin to the outside. But Kane returned and eliminated the Rock. We're down to our final two and it's Kane who's been in this match forever, it seems like. Squaring off with Austin. Hits the choke slam, but Austin countered a tombstone with, as JR put it, an XFL like punt! Kane gets a chair, but again Austin counters the tombstone and this time hits a Stone Cold Stunner. Three sick chair shots later, and Austin is able to clothesline Kane over the top rope and win a record third Royal Rumble match after one hour, one minute, and 52 seconds. I enjoyed that. I thought it was really, really good. Just really entertaining. <laughs> I quite liked how the rumble was sort of split up into different sections. You sort of had your beginning bit, mid-carder push, then you got your little hardcore section that sort of went off on a bit of a tangent. (laughs) And then after the hardcore section, you sort of got your build towards the end. I think as well, this was probably the start of seeing outside interference at the rumble like in essence of of keeping someone away from the match for a little bit you know we we see it all too often nowadays you know it seems to be every rumble match that we've discussed this that somebody disappears for a while only to return later on so it kind of got me by surprise that it was happening in back in 2001 not as much obviously but but yeah, I, I, I enjoyed the whole thing. Incredible pops from The Rock and Austin. Triple H coming back and trying to get Austin was a nice continuation from what was happening previously. Yeah, just really enjoyable. 
So I'll start with the negatives here. They're kind of minor. It's a very punch kick match at several points and it very nearly got to the point where things were dragging. I feel like it could have benefited from people coming out every 90 seconds instead of two minutes. Yep. Having said that, I think my enjoyment kind of reflects your enjoyment of this, Kyle. Overall, it's a very good Royal Rumble match and it did a good job of showcasing the range of talent in the match, even when you only had, like, what, half a dozen conceivable winners. Yep. It was, as you said, Kyle, this segmenting. It highlighted different things going on in the company. Like, you started with a tag specialist, you hit the comedy spot, then the hardcore guys, another comedy spot, then the beefy lads, and then it transitioned into the Undertaker and Kane story, and then it boiled down to the real true contenders of the match. Kane deserves a massive amount of credit for being the backbone of this match. And he fit right into so many aspects of it. You know, the comedy, the hardcore, the hard-hitting, and then the real convincing contenders part. Yeah. Rock was clearly the fans guy here, and this is one of those moments where, okay, Rock and Austin, that feels like the money match. Everybody wanted it. I think in terms of fan expectation for what WrestleMania would be, they made the right call with Austin winning, and then The Rock getting the title later. Because like making Austin the contender, it made people buy into Mania, expecting Austin's comeback was going to culminate there. And then, you know, his rivalry with Triple H was going to get the blow off elsewhere. This is really good overall. In terms of our usual stuff highlighting the top performers in this match, we've got, with eliminations... It was fairly highly clustered around certain people. There were four men in joint third place with The Rock, Stone Cold and The Hardy Boys each getting three eliminations. Second place was The Undertaker and then number one with a then record 11 eliminations is Kane and they'd use that for years to come. Yeah. With The Iron Men, some unexpected names in the lower reaches... Number five, Hardcore Holly lasted 14 minutes and four seconds. Then at four, Albert lasted 15 minutes and 53 seconds. Number three is Bradshaw, who lasted 17 minutes 40. Maybe the commercial wasn't bullshitting us after all, Kyle. (laughs) Number two was The Rock, who lasted 38-42. But number one, of course, was Kane, who was in there an astonishing 53 minutes and 46 seconds. That wraps up the show. Kyle, take us through your overall thoughts on this and what was your favourite match and who your MVP was. Overall, the pay-per-view for me was very enjoyable. Really, really, really good. There wasn't a point in this pay-per-view where I kind of thought it was dragging or I thought that the the action was a bit off. It was really, really enjoyable. Favourite match for me, I'm going to take the Rumble out of the equation because... The Royal Rumble, like I've said before, is its own thing. So it's got to be the main event, Angle and Triple H. My MVP, everyone will roll their eyes at this, but I'm going to go Triple H. And the only reason that I'm going Triple H is just because I felt like he did a great job selling everything in the main event. And he was also 
sort of a catalyst in the rumble for what was going to happen at the end. And then the rumble itself, again, really, really enjoyable. I think, you know, as we've discussed, the action was well planned and thought out where everything needed to be. And, you know, the right person won at the end. Mm. I think this is a tremendous show, really. From an in-ring standpoint, I didn't dislike anything here. It's very thoroughly entertained. There's a bunch of backstage fluff, but you could easily skip past that. And the women's title match only being an angle was you know, kind of neither here nor there. But everything delivered in, in some manner. Two title changes to start off with. Really good matches. Surprisingly compelling technical championship match, even though it was heel versus heel. And just kind of a backdrop for other drama going on. And then, like we were discussing earlier, the Royal Rumble itself is as good of a snapshot of what was going right in the WWF at the time as anything. Yeah. Really did feel like a kind of last hurrah for the year 2000. I know we get more TLC later on, but they paired the Dudleys and Edge and Christian back up together. They paired Jericho and Benoit back up together after having tons of great pay-per-view stuff going on in 2000. Triple H and Kurt Angle were back at loggerheads after having a a pretty notable feud going on there. And, yeah, it's just all heading to a pretty exciting WrestleMania. I really enjoyed this show. My favourite match, I think despite myself, I have to go with the ladder match. You know, it is an uncomfortable watch at times, but, damn it, it just still wraps you up as, like, a brutal, sadistic contest where... People were just, you know, putting their bodies out there and really trying to steal the show. Yeah. As far as MVP goes, it has to be Kane. You wouldn't really have thought him to have been as versatile as he was in that Royal Rumble match, but he was the star of the show and he was easily the highlight of that match for me. Yeah. This time around, we're not the only ones with an opinion on this show. As we heard last episode Lee's got a a bit of a special relationship with this show and we'll invite him to go through it here and leave us with his thoughts right now Alright lads, Lee here from the Rory's Nitro podcast. Just wanted to chip in when I heard you guys were doing the 2001 Royal Rumble, aka the greatest Royal Rumble of all time. Not only is it the greatest Royal Rumble of all time, but this one's got a special place in my heart. You see, in late 2000, I got my first job working at KFC. And, you know, most teenagers are probably thinking they want to save up some money, go out and party with their friends. Not me. I was wrestling obsessed and was getting a bit sick of renting pay-per-view VHS three months after they occurred. So I saved up my first month's paycheck and paid for installation to have pay TV over here at the time known as Foxtel installed at my place. Got the setup all done. 
the SmackDown before this Royal Rumble. And if you know WWF back in the Attitude Era, the go-home show to a Royal Rumble was going to end with all the main event guys hitting their finishes on each other to close the show. So the very next thing I did after watching that was order my first ever live pay-per-view that I paid for. I did watch lots of live shows in the UK back in the early 90s, late 80s, but this was the first one in a long, long time that I'd been able to watch live and certainly the first pay-per-view I ever bought. So got this show ordered up and I have never regretted it. Nostalgia definitely plays a part. Obviously, that's a great period in my life and probably the peak of my wrestling fandom. But overall, top to bottom, this is just an absolutely fantastic show as well. Jericho and Benoit on the undercard is really phenomenal, including one of the best chair shots I've ever seen in wrestling when Benoit goes for that suicide dive. And the undercard itself is actually really good. Maybe a tad Triple H heavy, but lucky I'm not on the show for <laughs> to debate the, the boys with that one, particularly Kyle. But the Rumble match itself, just absolute 10 out of 10. If anyone's listened to my Ranking the Rumbles episode recently, you'll know my feelings on that. But just to recap for anyone that hasn't, Kane was an absolute beast in this. Austin and Rock were both at the height of their popularity. Big Show Surprise Return was phenomenal. The hardcore section of the Royal Rumble, the Honky Tonk Man, Drew Carey, oh, the list just goes on and on. What an absolutely fantastic Royal Rumble. So if you haven't watched this one, definitely go and check this out after you finish listening to the podcast. Listen to the end of the episode, then go and watch this Royal Rumble. You will thank us all and be glad you did. Anyway, lads, I won't take up any more of your time. Thanks a bunch for getting my submission in and can't wait to listen to the episode. Thanks, Lee, and be sure to see you down the road on on your show sometime. We've got an incredibly terrible thunder to go up against. A a very, very classic SmackDown moment, that's all I'll say there. But that'll wrap up the show overall. Big thanks to you all for listening. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter at TNW Podcast or on Instagram at TNW underscore podcast or give us a like on Facebook to keep up with when our episodes are going to drop and just have a natter overall really give us a subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on SoundCloud or follow us on Stitcher or Spotify to get all of our episodes directly into your podcast feeds you can also head to our SoundCloud page to find a playlist of all of our episodes so far as well as all of my guest appearances on the Rory's Nitro podcast the next time we'll be on the Tape Trader Diaries, or it'll be the next time that Channel 4 had a pay-per-view. I learnt my lesson and I realised, oh shit, Backlash 2001 is going to be on. Oh my days, I'm looking forward to this one. My first time I taped a pay-per-view off the telly, I was actually able to talk with everyone in the playground at school the next day about what happened. Oh my god. It's always good when you're up to date and able to talk to people about it. Like there's some times where some people have watched it and others haven't and you, you're a bit like, no, don't say anything. <laughs> don't ruin it for me. Whereas this, everyone was up to date and everyone just had a great discussion about it all. It's going to be exciting stuff. Until then, it's a goodbye from Kyle. Thank you very much for listening. I will see you next time. That's a goodbye from me. I'll catch you down the road!